Dearly beloved, today I seek not to waste much time. The story at hand is one that gripped the entire nation of Ghana for a near two-year period. The city of Takrade would serve as the backdrop for chaos, confusion, bloodshed, kidnappings, and death itself. A story in which four young women met their ends. Or did they really? The case of the Takrade girls is one that has baffled many in the years after. My name is John Andrew Addo. I serve as your host to this sanctuary of screams, to this den of nightmares, and to this repository of stories forged with the blood of both the innocent and the guilty. Welcome to Mayhem. Our story, as I alluded to before, begins in Takrade, in the western region of Ghana. A coastal city with beautiful shores, white sands, and memories for people to enjoy. But, unfortunately, for the last six years, Takrade has echoed tragedy. In the year 2018, kidnappings seemed to be the order of the day. It all would begin with two young girls who were allegedly kidnapped within just three days, sending shockwaves through the streets of the metropolis. A spree of kidnappings would begin to take place. These kidnappings would start on July 29th with the disappearance of a young lady named Ruth Abaka. She was last seen around the Diabena Methodist Church. She was 19 years old. Days later, on August 17th, another lady would go missing. This time, a 21-year-old named Prisla Blessing Bentum, who was last seen at Casarodo. A few months would pass, and on December 4th, an 18-year-old lady would be captured. Her name, Ruth Love Quason. She was said to have been captured at Butumajibu Junction. And lastly, on December 21st, Prisla Mantibia Cranche, a 15-year-old, would be kidnapped at Nkrofu Junction. These disappearances, all within the span of a year, would leave families shattered, communities shaken, with a lot of questions unanswered. There would be a bit of a twist to all of this. You see, the kidnappers would demand ransom. In the case of the first victim, Ruth Abaka, her family 
would be plunged into a nightmare when the kidnapper would demand a ransom for her release the very next day. Similarly, with Ruth Love Quason's abduction, her family would be thrust into a desperate race against time to secure her freedom. For instance, they used her phone to call her mother and demanded a ransom for her release. They would follow up with text messages, including one which was sent on December 6th, 2018 at 5.55 p.m., which would read, Your daughter is sick. You better pick up so she can come back home. A sister of Ruth Love, Nanadra, vividly recounts Ruth Love's last moments prior to her disappearance. Ruth Love was said to have left home purportedly to visit the MTN office for a job recruitment opportunity. However, distressing calls later revealed her dire situation, trapped in a room by unknown assailants, demanding ransom. According to her, she called with her phone around 1.30 p.m., crying and telling her mom to help her. She would narrate getting into a taxi and not being able to see again and that some people had taken her into a room demanding 500 Ghana cities before they would leave her. Her family's frantic efforts to seek assistance, first at the Takradi MTN office and later at the police station, would underscore the overwhelming sense of helplessness and urgency in their quest for justice. Following the abduction report, the family of the victim made their way to the Takradi Central Police Station around 3 p.m. seeking assistance. In the days that followed, the kidnappers' demands would become increasingly dire. On December 5th, the family reluctantly made their first payment of a hundred Ghana cities for their loved one's sustenance as instructed by the kidnappers through the victim's phone. Despite the police's recommendations to negotiate a lower amount, the kidnappers insisted on the full sum, citing insufficient funds for the victim's care. The following day, December 6th, brought another demand from the kidnappers, this time for another 100 Ghana cities to purchase medicine for a sister who had fallen ill. Faced with mounting pressure and concern for their loved one's well-being, the family complied, hoping for a swift resolution to the nightmare. However, the relentless demands persisted and the kidnappers ultimately demanded a ransom of 10,000 Ghana cities. In a desperate bid for assistance, the family turned to the Bureau of National Investigations on December 7th, seeking support in their efforts to secure their loved one's safe return. These agonizing days marked by constant negotiations 
financial strain, and emotional turmoil shows the harrowing reality faced by the families grappling with the scourge of kidnapping in Takrati. If it is true that he has been rearrested, then he should show us the whereabouts of the children. We want to know if they are alive or not. On January 4th, 2019, a gathering of concerned individuals, including relatives, friends of the kidnapped girls, and residents of Takrade, convened to demand accountability and action from authorities. Their unified voice called for a thorough investigation into the circumstances surrounding the abduction and urged the prosecution of any officers found negligent in their duty. This is where we see the introduction of DCOP Mamiya Tiwa Adodangwa. At the time, she was in charge of the Criminal Investigation Department of the Ghana Police Service. She would visit the families on Saturday, January 26th, offering support and reassurance during this very trying time. Following her visit, the Minister of Gender, Women and Children's Protection, Cynthia Morrison, extended her presence to the families on January 27th, delivering words of hope and emphasizing the safety of the children as a top priority. However, these incidents may not have taken place if progress wasn't made with the capture of a Nigerian national named Samuel Wills, a man who was captured with the help of tracing the phone records used to demand the ransoms of the girls in custody. He would first be captured on December 22nd, 2018, arrested in connection with the disappearance of the girls, Wills faced charges related to the kidnapping and subsequent events surrounding their vanishing. Even though Samuel would first be arrested on December 22nd, he would actually escape prison custody and only be recaptured on December 30th in an uncompleted building which will later come into play as we go along. In the subsequent legal proceedings, the suspect implicated in the case appeared before the Takrade District Court on January 9th. He faced charges of escaping lawful custody, resisting arrest, and damaging public property, to which he pleaded not guilty. The court remanded him in custody pending further hearings, with a subsequent appearance scheduled for January 16th to address the same charges. At this point, the case had gained notoriety in Ghana as Bring Back Our Girls 
became a trending hashtag and topic. On February 11, suspect Samuel Wills disclosed during his trial for escaping from his cell that a CID officer and person named Kwesi had assisted in his escape. In response, the Western Regional Police Command initiated an investigation into the suspect's escape. However, the findings of this investigation were never made public. On February 14th, the families of the missing girls convened a press conference issuing a direct appeal to President Akufuado for intervention in their plight, warning of potential future demonstrations should their demands go unmet. Subsequently, on February 19th, at the Takrade District Court, Samuel Wills, the suspect in the case, failed to produce key witnesses named John and Kwesi. After two weeks of adjournments, further frustrating the family's quest for justice. <clears throat> in response to perceived governmental inaction, a Takrade-based group known as the Concerned Mothers Association organized a float on February 21st, expressing disappointment with the president's silence regarding the kidnapped girls. Later, on March 4th, the families escalated their demands by requesting representation in the suspect's escape case seeking greater involvement in legal proceedings concerning the accused. Amidst mounting pressure and uncertainty on April 2nd, CID boss Mamea Tiwa Adodankwa would make a statement which follows her till this day. The kidnapping of the three ladies from Takradi. Together with the BNI, we've worked very well and currently we know where the girls are. I am unable to give the details because we don't want to compromise their safety. We are working hard together with other stakeholders so that these girls are brought back home safely. The assurance to the family is that they should keep on keeping on. The ladies, we know where they are and they are safe. So very soon, they will brought back home and they will go back to their family. In an attempt to reassure the families, she would echo those words. She would affirm the commitment of law enforcement to locate and rescue these missing girls. Amid the mounting frustration and uncertainty, the families of the kidnapped girls reached their breaking point on April 23rd. Threatening to storm CID headquarters, they voiced their exasperation over the ongoing lack of information regarding the whereabouts of their daughters. Their discontent stemmed from what they perceived as deceit on the part of the CID boss who had reassured them not too long ago. Accusing Tiwa of misleading them 
they demanded accountability from the inspector general of police and the CID boss. This sentiment culminated in an ultimatum issued on April 24th compelling the authorities to provide clarity on rumors circulating in the Daily Guide newspaper. In response to these escalating tensions, the Director General of the Criminal Investigations Department, she would explain that her previous statement was intended to instill hope rather to convey certainty. In subsequent weeks, the Concerned Mothers Association reiterated its demand for the removal of Tiwa from her position as Director General of the CID, emphasizing, emphasizing her failure to apologize for what they deemed as misleading statements regarding the whereabouts of the kidnapped girls. This refusal had sparked outrage and intensified public scrutiny over the handling of the case. Adding to the tension on June 8th, the Western Youth for Justice organized a demonstration calling for accountability and justice in the wake of the ongoing saga. Their cries echoed the frustrations felt by many who sought closure and resolution. However, on June 12th, a mix of emotions would emerge as the families would react with disappointment to the rescue of two Canadian girls kidnapped in Kumasi. Another key figure would emerge as a suspect and his name John Orji. This man would be apprehended in Togo and then remanded into custody by second by the second high court. Orji's involvement came to light during an extensive investigation led by Ghanaian authorities beyond the borders of Ghana. His arrest would mark a significant development in the pursuit of justice. In the course of the proceedings, the Secondi High Court took a significant step by requesting legal representation for the two suspects implicated in the case. However, tensions would begin to escalate once again on July 15th when the families of the kidnapped girls would convene another press conference, issuing a stern warning of their intent to stage another demonstration on August 10th if meaningful progress was not made in the investigation. The palpable frustration among the families reflected a prolonged agony and desperate quest for answers amidst the certainty amidst the uncertainty surrounding their loved one's fate.
Now, news just uh, reaching our TV3 indicates that the body parts, uh, some body parts, I beg your pardon, have been found behind the home of arrested suspected kidnapper Samuel. Samuel is currently under arrest for the suspected kidnapping of the three Takradi girls. TV3 cannot independently confirm if these body parts are those of the missing girls. We're working the, the lines and our contacts to get you more information uh, to this. And sources are the Police Public Affairs Directorate, however, indicates that there are no official reports to the effect uh, when the news team contacted them around 9 p.m. this evening so this is just what we know so far on august 2nd the police would make a grim discovery retrieving human remains from a septic tank located behind the residence where the prime suspect samuel wills had been living this development sent shockwaves through the community intensifying calls for swift action and justice. However, the grim revelations would continue as on August 6th, authorities would recover a fourth set of skeletal remains from a well situated in an uncompleted building where the prime suspect was rearrested on December 30th. As the nation awaited answers on the Takaradi kidnapping case, a pivotal moment arrived on September 16th when then Acting Inspector General of Police, James Opong Bueno, would convene a press conference to deliver a solemn announcement revealing that DNA tests conducted on the remains recovered, confirmed a devastating truth that they belonged to the missing girls. A few minutes ago, officers of the Ghana Police Service informed four families in Takuradi in the western region of Ghana that DNA tests conducted on some human remains discovered in the course of police investigations into the disappearance of four missing girls are turned positive as the remains of the girls. The Ghana Police Service has, with regret, therefore informed the families that the remains are those of Ruth Abaka, Prisla Blessing Bintum, Ruth Love Quazen, and Prisla Crunchy. Investigations now established that the girls were victims of a serial kidnapping and murdering syndicate that operated in the Takradi area. While for various reasons we are unsuccessful in obtaining and acting on accurate, actionable intelligence in good time to enable us to rescue the girls, we believe that the arrest of the corporates has effectively thwarted the ability of this syndicate to have, to have continued with further kidnappings and murders. In the wake of this revelation, the nation collectively mourned the heartbreaking fate of these girls, their memories forever etched in Ghanaian history. The families would make pleas to the government, urging immediate action on several critical fronts. Foremost was the request 
for copies of the DNA test, which definitively confirmed the tragic fate of their kidnapped loved ones. In addition, the families emphatically demanded the release of the remains to them for an independent DNA test. Furthermore, the families would also advocate for a dignified state burial for the girls should the government maintain its assertions that the girls were indeed murdered. Later, in a dramatic turn of events at the Second D High Court, Samuel Wills would vehemently deny any involvement with the heinous crimes. Despite the gravity of the accusations, he would maintain his innocence, particularly admitting to knowing two of the victims, describing them as his close friends. To read what he said verbatim, Samuel's words are this, I knew the two Prislas. I met Prisla Blessing Bentum at a Fiakuma Methodist Church in 2017 and our friendship was just casual. For Prisla Mantebia Kuranche, I met her at a Wache joint around the Fastor Blockyard in 2018. Our friendship was also casual. I never conspired with Orji to kidnap them and murder them. I never kidnapped and murdered anyone as two of these young ladies are very good friends of mine. I heard the kidnapping when I was in Koforidia through my girlfriend, Emily Alimo. I don't remember the date, but the time was around 10 a.m. And for a time, it would seem that justice had prevailed as the second Lehigh court delivered its verdict, sentencing both Samuel and John to death by hanging for their roles in the kidnapping. Despite varying viewpoints from the families, this pronouncement seemingly marked the end of a protracted legal battle offering a semblance of closure to the grieving families and communities affected by this tragic ordeal. The story of the Takredi girls, whilst it may have been largely solved and largely investigated in the realms of the police, seems to be one of Ghana's coldest cases in other circles. There are so many different things that happened with this case that put more questions on top of the questions that you already seem to have. To start with, arguably the biggest talking point from this was the statement made by Mamiya Tiwa Adodankwa the then director general of the CID stating that they knew exactly where the girls were and that the girls were safe. In a lot of realms, the question that instantly is asked is if indeed 
you know where the girls are. Why were they not found for another four months? And how on earth would they be safe in the presence of kidnappers that had them in custody for about a maximum of nine months, especially when you look at the timeline of Ruth Abaka's disappearance. There was a lot of controversy that followed Tiwa, especially after the events of the Takaradi girls, from her saying she was not going to resign as CID boss because of her actions and her statements and how she handled that entire situation. Currently, as we speak, she is the executive director of IOKO, the Economic and Organized Crime Office. She has been said to be very credible in the way she handles her business. And it seemed as though this was the one stain in the one blunder she has made in her career. But when you look at everything, for what it is, her follow-up statement seemingly to clarify what she had said earlier only seemed to make things worse because there were calls for her resignation. There was a whole social media movement quite similar to the magnitude of the Bring Back Our Girls movement calling for her resignation. And then... There is the part of Samuel Wills mentioning that he had help escaping from jail with the help of a CID officer, to which that brings more questions of the credibility of officers. Is it a matter of corruption? Because almost instantly, you start to think about the stories that you hear associated with officers in positions like this, just letting evidence go to secure a payday of some kind. Just to be clear, I do not insinuate in this statement that it did happen. However, it does seem quite suspicious that the findings of the subsequent investigation into this incident was never made public. And then there is the portion of Samuel Wills denying any involvement with the case to start with, denying ever even kidnapping the girls to start with, even though he said he knew them on a bit of a casual basis. The interesting part of this is a little under two weeks after the human remains were found around the septic tank, Samuel Wills, according to BNI sources, said that the girls were actually sold to one person called Mama, who was said or is said to be an operator of a baby factory in Onisha in Anabra State in Nigeria. And this was where John Orji would come into play, along with another person named Chika Nodim. He would then say that when Presla Bentum was kidnapped, she was transported to Nigeria in December, and then Presla Mantebia Crunchy and Ruth Lavquason were sent in January through the Aflau border. 
saying that they were heavily sedated in order to avoid the risk of them raising any form of alarm. Now, according to an article from Ghana Web, the BNI would reportedly follow up and confirm that indeed this baby factory exists and it's a bit of a syndicate where girls are sold off to kingpins for the purpose of making babies for adoption by rich families in Nigeria and elsewhere, to quote the Ghana Web article verbatim. Then we come to the court's verdict, which would leave some Wills and his accomplices sentenced to death by hanging. And whether or not that brings some resolution to the family's anguish, to their struggle, to the pain that they have experienced. It is actually said that the father of Prisla Bentum, named Francis, would actually say, I am willing to accept that the children are dead if the two Nigerians are killed in my presence. They should not be blindfolded. I want to see that. And the thing usually is you cannot teach a person or you cannot tell a person how to grieve. And in this case, it is not in anybody's place to say how he wants to handle his grief. But it does paint a bit of a picture into how the other families are feeling, particularly when you realize that there is an unresolved element to all of this. The fact that they never received the remains of their children for burial. It is said that there are either five or seven stages of grief. But to quote the five, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And it may seem as though these families were subjected to a cycle of the first three, more so than the last two. Because one would say that if indeed they weren't shown 60-year-old bones, as was claimed by the grandfather of Ruth Abaka named Emmanuel Kobina, if they were in fact able to get copies of the DNA tests, if they were in fact able to conduct their own independent DNA tests, then indeed they would have had some form of resolution, one that undoubtedly they chase till this day. There are so many different permutations to this story, which may seem simple, but in fact is not. Dearly beloved, this is only part one of the story of the Takrada girls. There will be a part two that follows this episode. And so, dearly beloved, I entreat you to anticipate what comes. I can make a few assurances that it will be groundbreaking. But like I always say, I do none of this work by myself. It is borderline impossible. I have my producer, Jeffa Makafui, to thank for the work she always does 
digging, finding, compiling, and presenting the information as it needs to be brought to you. I also entreat you, dearly beloved, to engage with us, share your thoughts, let us know what you really feel when it comes to the story of the Takrady girls. Until you hear my voice again, I say, stay safe, keep your doors locked, and never stop seeking into the truths of this world. My name is John Andrew Addo. I serve as your host, and this is Mayhem.